0: a wicked crash. There is a crash coming up in episode 3 that does relate to the crime. And there is a mysterious woman, Monique, who whispers information to Matthias Jones. There's an ambulance on the way to the state hospital with a restrained Joe Sabota inside. It's all one big mess pointing toward Coco Stefani. Episode 3 of The Club Max Murder by Robert P. Vitton begins now. Chapter 12 For 15 minutes, Jones watched a fast-paced hockey game from New York on the widescreen TV, while Daniels remained at the bar. He was still confused why the long-haired bartender continued to wait on her customers, but always returned to Daniels. Three empty whiskey glasses were lined up along the bar, but Daniels sat calmly and was seemingly unaffected by the liquor. Impatient, he stood and was about to return when Daniels shook hands with the young woman and turned from the bar. He walked quickly toward Jones and met him near several video games in a darkened alcove along a paneled wall. Oh, don't let me pull you from your appointed rounds, Daniels. I have very little difficulty finding what I want watson the noble bachelor did you talk to bill the bartender yeah while you were swooning that young girl either you've got it or you haven't said daniels looking back the woman waved with her fingers she could be your granddaughter daniels now that has made my day jones what about bill the bartender did you or did you not talk to him well weren't you watching for all the good that it did he had nothing to say there's something else going on here and Bosco knows about. Hence the gunshots at the car, Jones. Use your head, will you? You seem to know it all, Daniels. Who fired the shots? Oh, I'll figure that out. Oh, yeah, right. Jones shook his head and tried to understand why he had linked up with Daniels in the first place. What about this Coco? Asked Daniels. For your information, Sherlock. He says I shouldn't deal with Coco. He said I should talk to Coco myself, but I can't get a hold of him. Well, that reference to Holmes was not appreciated, and we should deal with this Stefani. I know him personally, Daniels, and I didn't invite you into this investigation. Again, he checked each table at every patron's face. The woman tending bar again smiled briefly at Daniels, and Jones rolled his eyes. What do you fancy yourself as some kind of ladies' man? There's only one kind of ladies' man. Rhonda gave me a plethora of information. Rhonda? The bartender, Gina's friend Monique. She usually shows up here after midnight, if you want to wait. Midnight? Jones looked over at the bartender and then at Daniel's. She told you that? Of course she did. I confirmed Coco's East Crescent Street address. He removed a small pink note from his coat pocket. The Handwriting was neat and precise. I know where he lives, and he's nowhere near Prince William. Get that through your head, Daniels. You see, Jones... You don't know the techniques. You need the mind and the techniques. The two are indisputably deadly. Well, let's just hope Monique shows up, Daniels. If you want to leave and go back to bed. Well, I wouldn't hear of it. I thought you might say that. His feet propped up on the vinyl booth bench, Jones pushed his head against the wood paneled wall. For the last half hour, he had dozed as punchy live guitar music from down back rocked his bones. When he opened his aching eyes, Daniels, his leather coat, draped over his adjoining bar stool, came into focus. He was lecturing several patrons in his usual overbearing style. Beyond the folding doors, a tanned woman in a short white leather coat and black fishnet stockings sucked on a cigarette near the rear sliders. Jones quickly slid from the booth and crossed the edge of the parquet dance floor. She stared out the sliders toward the rippling light reflections in the fast moving river below the crosstown bridge. Jones cleared his throat. Excuse me. I ain't doing nothing right now, she said, taking another drag. I just want to... Listen, I know what you guys want to do. Look, I had a rough night. She pushed her blonde hair back, revealing a red swollen area next to her temple. You need help? I mean medical attention? You ain't looking for a good time, are you? You want something else? Bosco sent me. Can we sit down? asked Jones. Okay. She looked him over as if he were one of her customers, and she nodded her head. Joan scurried into the darkened room with her and sat down at the tiny wood table. Daniels could not see them from this angle. You want a drink? No, 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 no drinks. The light from the floating glass candle gave her a pasty look and highlighted her facial wrinkles. Her brown eyes had the worn persona of someone beaten down by life. So, uh, who the hell are you? Joan sat in the captain's chair. Someone looking for answers. I told you Kip sent me. Kip don't want to know nothing. She snuffed out the butt in the gold ashtray, but immediately lit another cigarette with her small transparent butane lighter. You want to ask me questions? Go ahead, Mr. Man. What do you know about Gina Quintel's death? She spread her rouge-lined lips. She's dead. (laughs) Her laugh sounded like a pressurized tire losing air. Why is she dead? Should I know that? She asked. I think you should said Jones. Who did you say you were? She inhaled a prodigious amount of smoke. I didn't. She smiled, this time exposing a clean set of white teeth. I like you. I like you. Know anybody that owns a low rider? I don't know nothing about no low rider. What about Joe Sabota? You know him? Her eyes moistened and her hands shook as she exhaled and looked across the shimmering river. Gina was paid to be with that kid. What? Jones leaned forward. What about Bosco? Does he know this? I told you. Kip don't want to know nothing. Who the hell would pay her to be with Joe? She slowly shook her head and closed her eyes. The blue mascara was smeared over her lids. You don't want to know. I assure you, I do want to know. Jones held her frigid little hand. She wouldn't tell nobody. Afraid she'd blow the deal. Guess, I guess she was told as long as she kept her mouth shut, she'd keep getting the money. And she was getting big money. Why? Why was she getting big money? Listen, I don't know who paid her to be with the kid, but I do know that Coco had her involved in something else, something else big. Where's Coco now? Coco split, I don't know. He's gone. See, she was young, only 24, and she was good at what she did. She was on the rise there, Mr. Man. They were about to move her uptown. Her bank account was real big. She lent me a grand, without even blinking an eye. But You don't know who was paying her to be with Joe Sabota. No, I don't. Could have been Coco. Nobody knew. Gina knew when to clam up and when to talk. Who to be with, girl had it all, the girl had it all. Family, who knows? Only though she came around here about a year ago. What about this guy, Al? Ah, Gina broke up with him again about a month ago Al's been out of sight. I haven't seen him. Now somebody else comes into play. Joe scanned down the bar and then looked at her again. Would Al kill her? You know, out of jealousy. Ah, Al, Al has women. He might kill her for fun, but not out of jealousy. I need to know about some of the Johns. You can't track them down unless you show me pictures. Even then, who, who remembers? Who do you think killed her? She shook her head faster this time and put out the cigarette. You got me, Mr. Man. Did Coco order her death? Did it have anything to do with what he had her involved in? I don't know. I really don't. I don't think he did. Her hands tense and she rotated her neck, not looking him in the eye. I can't even tell you what Coco had her doing. But it was big. Only he can tell you. Bosco might know, but I doubt it. Coco pays Bosco big money to keep his trap shut. Jones nodded and handed her a pink piece of paper from the bartender. This Coco's address on Crescent Street. Oh, he has that address, I know. I've been up there. I'll give you a grand, Monique, if you tell me where Coco is. Oh, I'd take that grand, but I don't know where he is. I really think he split the area. He has to lay low. He's in big trouble. Something big was going down with Gina. Well, I'm going to try and find him. Watch yourself, Mr. Man. You know Coco. If he likes you, you're golden. You're dead if he doesn't like you. I gotta go. Nice talking to you, Mr. Man. One more question. Do you know a Clarence Moody? Asked Jones. Nope. Don't even know the name. Thanks. He said, shaking her cold hand. You are Monique, aren't you? I'm Monique, yes. Maybe next time you and I can get together, Mr. Man. Jones raised his brows as she glanced back at the bar, yanked open the sliders, and darted outside. She blended into the darkness along the river. He could feel himself drawn in way over his head, and debated whether to get Phillips involved. Jones needed to speak with Coco, and speak to him alone. Chapter 13 Hamilton College fans were compressed along the ropes behind Larson Stadium's curved yellow goalpost. With the big game approaching, Jones's thoughts were muddled because of Monique's revelations. He tried Coco on his cell phone four more times with no response. Early that afternoon, he placed a call to Kevin Phillips. Jones only mentioned that he met Monique, but she had no information. Whatever was going on, he was afraid to even tell Phillips. Jones tried to sort out the murder as he grabbed his clipboard and flipped through his plays. Across the field, Mac put his huge team through a series of loud drills. The crowd noise in the little stadium churned Jones' adrenaline. He even passed up a cup of coffee from Woozy and headed toward the bench to boost Larry Resnick's confidence before the special teams assembled for the kickoff. Resnick seemed unsure of his abilities as he warmed up, sometimes mishandling the ball and Jones wished the larger, more talented Joe Sabota was ready to face St. Pat's. He abruptly turned when he saw Daniels moving along the field ropes. Dare I stand here, Jones, or will I get shot by some man in a black car? Did you pay to get in, Daniels? I could have gotten you in. I think I can afford it, but leaving that bar without me last night was poor form. How did you get out? Never mind. I need to talk to you you want me to pay for your car damage, Daniels, forget it. It'll be as good as new in a couple of hours. Did insurance pay the bill? For the car or for my psychiatrist, asked Daniels. I want reassurance that there'll be no more attacks. I can't give you that assurance, said Jones as the referees moved onto to the field. Look, Daniels, beat it. I haven't been this close to the field since I played, said Daniels, surveying the playing field. "'You played?' asked Jones as he grinned. "'Well, it was just in college, an intramural thing. "'I coached and quarterbacked.' Jones leaned closer. "'Oh, maybe you can give me some pointers.' "'Of course, Jones. Of course I will.' Jones ran along the sidelines with the kickoff. He shuffled back and forth as the game unfolded. He finally stood in front of the bench and listened to stray comments from Daniels. He was dumbfounded by Resnick's prowess on the field. The game was a rout from the beginning.' Resnick threw for two Hamilton touchdowns in the first quarter alone and ran both extra point attempts around the outside. His speed was a key part of Hamilton's attack. He only missed one pass during the whole half as Hamilton added two more touchdowns. His natural movements were a direct antithesis to his performance of the past three years. As the team moved into the maintenance shack with a 28-6 halftime lead, Jones heard Daniels' voice. Your offense is pathetic, Jones. Pathetic, he asked, spinning. How is to 28-6 pathetic, Daniels? You asked my opinion, and when my opinion is asked, well, it's asked and rejected. Now get lost. Jones shut the wooden door. Woozy handed him a Coke. Across the shed, Kip Bosco, dumb grin on his face, leaned against a support post. Jones looked at his team, resting, and quickly crossed the room. What am I, being followed by the Keystone cops here? Get out of here, Bosco. Out late last night, huh, Coachy? Jones physically moved him into a side room, crammed with lawnmowers and rakes. You know what I want to know, Kip? Why are you staying clear of this murder investigation? And what about the girl being paid to hustle Joe Sabota? Girl? What girl? Oh, come on. Listen, I've about had it with you. And I think you know where Coco is. Hey, I got you set up last night, didn't I? Get me to Coco. No can do. I'm under orders. Jones moved close to his fat face, rusty mustache, and garlic breath. Why not? Why can't you do it? Protocol, mister. I don't tell Mr. Stefani who he's going to meet with. I'll find Coco. I'll find him. You're playing with fire in this one, Jones, said Bosco. Maybe, but if he paid Gina Quintel to spend time with Joe, then I want to know why. Bosco extended his fat, freckled hand. Just in case I don't see you again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very funny, Kip, very funny. Bosco started to leave. You get anything off, Monique? Yeah, information. Oh, he walked back to his team. The chunky Prince William police officer moved outside, and Jones patted Resnick on the back. You turn into the bionic man when you start a game there, Larry. Do we have a video of that? I, I want to send it to my father. He, he won't believe it. Well, I don't believe it, said Jones, ruffling his dark hair, and he almost forgot about Joe Sabota being held in a Prince William jail cell. Mac's team could not generate an offense during the second half, either. Resnick again passed for another touchdown and personally recovered a fumble on the St. Pat's 40-yard line. The hefty Mac. Face crimson as he shouted, raced along the sidelines, but as the clock counted down, he returned to the bench with most of his first string pulled. He must have figured defeat was inevitable. Hamilton produced an extraordinary performance. Mac was shaken when he met Jones at midfield after the clock ran out. I've never seen a team move like one unit like yours did- today, Matthias. Maybe I should put my best player in the hoosscow. Hey, McMack, he said as they moved through the crowd. If any team has desire, you can't beat them. You got that right. What about Sabota? Oh, you don't even want to know, said Jones. You heard about the knife. Yeah, it's all in the papers, said Mac as they reached the main gate. Jones opened the door and Mac shook his hand again. You sound like you have your work cut out for you, Matthias. If there's anything I can do. Thanks, Mac. We just have to find the truth. I'm sure Joe didn't do it. Good luck. Good game. Talk to you later. Call me. Daniels moved closer and shook Jones's hand. Well, I stand corrected. I know when to admit my mistakes. The game was perfection personified. Good choice of words. Is that from Holmes? No, my own... Thank you, Daniels. And really, Jones, good game. Jones started back to the gym. I would like you to dine with me this evening and discuss the case and your little meeting with Monique. Jones spun around in one motion and marched back to Daniels. My hat goes off to you, Daniels. I admire your persistence, but I'm afraid I'll take a rain check. I have a dinner engagement tonight at the Colonial House. I know where the Colonial House is. I've eaten there before. Don't even think about it. Jones jogged away this time. Now he was unsure whether Daniels would crash his dinner engagement with Travis there. When Jones entered the locker room, Woozy was holding up his office phone and waved him forward. You know, Woos, Daniel's bugging me is like having Lark and Bucky both back here hounding me day and night. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way, because Lark is calling you from St. Martin. At that distance, I'd love to speak with my predecessor. Jones produced an exasperated look as he took the phone. Hello, Lark? Mathias, said Lark, in his voice tinny and muffled. I guess
1: congratulations are of the highest order, old boy. Riverside.
0: Lark, we played St. Pat's. And you skunked them? No, Lark. They got 14 points.
1: Reminds me of the big blaster 47 right after the war. Snooky McKenzie, what a fullback. He carried almost every play. We skunk Salem six to three.
0: Six to three. I thought you said you skunked. Never mind. Well, thank you for calling, Lark. I don't want you to run up your meter.
1: Oh, we're not in a taxi,
0: Matthias. Jones rolled his eyes. No, the phone meter. Oh, oh, the phone meter. I get it. No, no,
1: that's all right. We're on vacation. And when you're on vacation, you spend, spend, spend. Right,
0: Snookums? I take it Flo is with you, said Jones as his players trickled into the locker room. Well, I wouldn't have another Snookums. Flo giggled in the background. <laughs> Lark, everyone's coming off the field. I have to go. Oh.
1: problems later
0: in life. Yeah, I guess everybody has problems later in life. That's just terrible, Lark. Jones turned from the phone and pretended to speak with Woozy. Oh, sure, Woozy. yes. I'll be right over. Oh, duty calls, hey eh, old boy? Yes, I have to go, Lark. Goodbye.
1: Wait, wait, I was going to
0: tell you, but... Tell me what, Lark? I've
1: decided to return to Hamilton and
0: help this boy, Sabota. No, no, no. No, that's okay. God, no. What
1: was that? We have a
0: bad Lark, I said you need the rest, and so does Flo. At this stage in your life, you should spend some time enjoying things. Coming home really isn't necessary. Well,
1: we appreciate your concern, don't we, Snookums? But I won't be deterred.
0: We'll be arriving in Boston Monday evening. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Lark, Jones fell back into Lark's old chair and tumbled against the filing cabinet. See you Monday. The line clicked. Why me? Jones looked up at Woozy's wide grin, just what Joe Sabota needs, Lark Larson helping to save his life. Chapter 14 I'm coming home, Matthias. Oh, Bucky, Bucky, you really should finish your vacation.
1: Funny, I asked to see Disney and they called me a, well, what did they call me, Muriel?
0: Muriel said something in the background.
1: Oh, yeah, they called me a sick puppy.
0: Disney is dead, Bucky.
1: Nah, that's just a cover story. He's frozen solid. Is everything all right back there? You, uh, you sound nervous.
0: Well, everything's fine back here, Bucky.
1: Okay, we should be back by Monday.
0: Bucky, can I... Can I speak to Muriel? Huh? Bucky, can I speak to Muriel?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. I need another ice cream sundae anyways. Hello?
0: Enjoying Florida? Asked Jones.
1: Like having a little kid
0: with me. I can imagine. Muriel, can you keep Bucky down there for another few days? There's been a murder up here involving one of my players.
1: Oh, Matthias, I'm so sorry.
0: We'll take you a movie when you get back. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, I think. Bye.
0: Jones hung up the phone. Now he was concerned about Clarence Moody. One of Jones's players, mentioned Clarence Moody, had left to work on engineering equations at the college library. Jones left his office, but stopped at the display case in the gym lobby. He studied the white ink on the black and white team photograph from 1947. The big blast of 47. There really was a big blast of 47. Lark's hair was slicked back and dark. He wore grainy rimmed glasses and was clad in his traditional blazer. One picture showed Snooky McKenzie, a goofy-looking kid with a wide nose and no face protector on his helmet, running into the end zone. In the next sequence, the Boston Globe sports section showed him in a hospital bed with a cast over his collarbone and Lark smiling by his side. Lark Larson's record at Hamilton College... 37 wins, 252 losses. Jones shook his head as he crossed the lobby and pushed open the gym doors. The cool fall air chilled his clothing. He zipped up his parker and gazed down the sidewalk to the library and music conservatory entrance beyond the gym. A few stray leaves lifted into the air as he crunched the other fallen leaves on the sidewalk. He walked quickly and looked up at the yellow foliage reflecting in the library's windows. The baseball field's diamond was bright in the afternoon sun as he rounded the corner and glanced at the Shaker-style music conservatory across from the library entrance. His main concern was how Joe would take the news of the team's victory. Good afternoon, Harriet, he said as he moved through the library's front doors. Under the fluorescent lights, the stout, short-haired Harriet Graham Looked up from her computer screen. Well, if it isn't the undefeated Mr. Jones. Jones smiled. Larry Resnick had a good day. You know, I was at the 50-yard line, pretty close to the game, and Resnick looked like a junior high school kid out there, but he threw like a pro. I've stopped trying to figure out anything, Harriet. Even who killed Gina Quintel? Jones raised his brows. I've read Tom McGill's account in the Enterprise this afternoon. McGill owns the paper. Why is he writing about it? Well, it was an editorial, said Harriet, as she pushed away from the screen and stood. What did McGill say? He said Joe didn't do it, but he had no hard evidence and and wrote glowing praise about Joe's character. Remind me to give McGill some free game passes, said Jones, as he leaned on the book return counter. So, are you here for some academic enrichment? Actually, I'm trying to track down a student. Yes, Clarence Moody. I must make it clear, I'm not a gatekeeper here, Matthias. Yes, Harriet. Nor am I a finder of missing persons. I understand, Harriet. And I'm very busy. Jones turned from the corner. He started toward the reading room. He's on the fourth floor, table by the south window. Jones smiled and kept walking. Thank you, Harriet. Did I say something? Jones snickered as he waved at a couple of students at the reading tables and then pushed the elevator button. The metal doors parted and he stepped inside. A list on the elevator wall indicated the fourth floor was mostly liberal arts materials. The doors closed. Jones could not gauge whether Clarence would be receptive to his questions. The crux of this case involves someone breaking into Joe's desk drawer without damaging the lock. No proof existed toward Clarence stealing the knife, nor was Jones aware who was given access to Joe's desk. He finally realized the doors were open on the fourth floor. A dark-haired young man in a blue plaid shirt sat at the window table at the far stacks. Jones walked by the books on classical music, art, prestidigitation, and philosophy. He moved briskly and cleared his throat, but the young man scribbled his long yellow pencil over a white-lined pad. Excuse me. Jones noticed a thick orange book on the shelf above the desk. The young man set down the pencil, closed a folder over his pad, and turned. He raised his dark brows. Have you ventured over here to harass me, Coach? You must be Clarence, and I can see that you're very busy. You mean you can readily see I'm very busy. Jones extended his hand. Matthias Jones. Moody smiled quickly. He gripped the pencil and laughed but did not shake Jones's hand. You are really something. You're not exactly endearing yourself to me, Clarence. I need concentration to solve my equations. Yeah, that's nice. Who took the knife, Clarence? Clarence's wide, dark eyes remained fixed on his pad. His brow crease slowly formed. I was not involved in that whore's murder in any way. Who was? obviously the killer, so I have nothing else to say. He pinched the pencil and placed it against his chin. If I am to anticipate your next question, I did not see anyone in our dorm room. The door is always kept locked. Someone got Joe's knife, Clarence. How about the owner of the knife? Jones straddled the side chair. You think Joe killed Gina Quintel. You really do. Well, it was his knife. That should be evident. And you know that. I don't know who killed Gina Quintel, said Jones. Why are you involved in this at all? What gives you the right to investigate it? Jones fumed inside, thought about his dad and all he had learned from him back in Indiana. But he said nothing. As a matter of fact, you fancy yourself some kind of private investigator. It is my opinion that you should do the job you are hired to do here at the college. Jones pressed his lips and looked out the window. The sun burned a cool yellow, silhouetting the tree branches and the quadrangle buildings. He let his anger subside and remembered something else his dad had said. Never open your mouth until you're in full control of your thoughts. He squinted and pinned back to Clarence. You have a way with words there, Clarence. Unfortunately, your words are rude and condescending. I don't answer to you. Who do you answer to? asked Jones. Myself. Now if you don't mind, I have calculations to perform. No calculator, no computer. All in your head, eh, Clarence? Do you know Monique? You're not listening, coach. I don't know anyone named Monique, and I didn't steal the knife. Now, is that the extent of your grilling, mister Jones? Jones positioned himself directly over Moody's shoulder. Whether I should be investigating this or not, Is irrelevant Clarence. You don't scare me. There's one thing you don't understand, although I guess you're supposed to be pretty bright. I don't let up. When I go after things in a murder case, I hit him and I hit him hard. You remember that. Jones stood and marched back to the elevator and wondered whether he was too rough on Moody. This isn't one of your pep rallies, coach. He jabbed the button, but Moody's desk was empty when he gazed over his shoulder. Jones was annoyed on a number of levels, most which centered around the young man's burgeoning ego. Jones zipped his pocket and locked his office. After a shower, he was supposed to meet Travis at the Colonial House. Larry Resnick in his red and black corduroy football jacket headed across the locker room. Well, here comes the hero. I don't know about that, coach. We all played well. You played one hell of a game, kid. They walked into the car that connected to the gym lobby. Well, thanks, Coach. He swallowed a few times and his voice quivered. Wait until I write my dad. He'll go wild when he hears about today's game. I was always interested in my dad's opinion when I played. Look, we can send Dr. Resnick the game video just like you wanted. I'm trying to get Dean Kent to spring for a new taping system. As a matter of fact, I was probably supposed to answer questions about that at last night's meeting that I didn't go to. Would you really send videos to my dad? Sure, consider it done, Larry. Does Joe know we won, Coach? Reality crystallized in Jones' thoughts. In the elation of winning, he had forgotten about Joe stuck back in that Prince William cell. I don't know. I don't know if he does. Resnick opened the outside door. Poor guy. Jones nodded and they moved into the parking lot. You need a ride, Larry? Nah, just head back to the dorm, thank you. Again, good game, Larry, good game. Coach, can I ask you a question? Sure. Joe's knife, it bothers me, he said facing Jones. Well, do you think Joe killed that woman? Jones was afraid to answer truthfully. He put his hand on Resnick's shoulder. I'm doing my best to clear him. But did he do it? Jones raised his brows. He looked up at the steel blue clouds moving in behind the tree branches. I don't know. Resnick was either upset or the cold was affecting his eyes. If I can help. Why, you and Joe don't like each other. Well, not liking each other is light years away from a fellow student accused of murder. Jones nodded and thought the answer was rehearsed. Look, I have a prior commitment. Me too, me too. After all, we did win. Yes, we did. Jones tapped his arm. Go and have yourself a good time. Just not at Club Max. No, I have a date, and she's not the Club Max type. Good. Joe smiled and trekked over a thin layer of snow pellets to his red Jeep. Once he was inside, he pulled out his cell phone. He dialed the Prince William police station, and as the line rang, Monique's aging face and long blonde hair materialized in his thoughts. Why had somebody paid Gina Quintel to see Joe? Through the background chatter, he asked for Kevin Phillips, but Phillips had left the building on an emergency call. Jones then requested to speak with Don Pacheco. A frazzled Pacheco came on the line.
1: Bias, have you heard?
0: Heard what, Dom? Asked Jones, starting the jeep.
1: When Joe heard the
0: results of the St. Pat's game, he went wild. Jones shifted the jeep out of the parking lot. What do you mean he went wild? He punched out two guards and had to be restrained. The parents arrived,
1: but he won't talk to them. For his own protection, he was sedated and moved to a psychiatric cell at the state hospital.
0: It was that bad, Dom? Come on. He was
1: out of control, Matthias. I had to do it.
0: No, no, I understand. This is a nightmare. I need to see him right now.
1: Sure, but he's still sedated. I'll see what I can do.
0: Call me back in a couple of hours. I will. He shut off the phone. Damn. Jones looped around the common, past LG's office, and swung around the massive white, clapboard First Parish Church. His white colonial appeared orange in the afternoon light. He slowed along his picket fence. Joe had fallen apart, but Jones had no clear indication as to who killed Gina Quintel. She was on the verge of moving into a bigger and nicer place, putting her in the realm of a high-paid call girl. Yet somebody was funneling her money to keep quiet. Jones stepped onto the sidewalk and stroked his chin. Gina was quiet. Quiet about what? Are you having a private conversation, Matthias, or can anyone join in? Asked Travis, sitting in his white Porsche. Travis, he said, turning. I didn't know you were there. Jones looked around the common. You didn't happen to see a maroon and white Etzel lurking around here, did you? Why, does Lark have a new car? No, Lark is still away and perish the thought that he and Flo should come back. I'm talking about this guy Daniels, Jones panned the common. I have the sneaking suspicion that Daniels will show up tonight. Well, the more the merrier, said Travis, smiling. Not in this case. This man is, uh, I don't know how to say it. He's just a persnickety pusher and he keeps pushing. I have to change my clothes, Travis. Let me take your order for the colonial house. We'll have it hot by the time you arrive. Great, how about the turkey special with uh, real cranberry sauce? Jones tightened his brow. Travis, did you hear about Joe this afternoon? No, what happened? He's pretty distraught. They moved him to a state hospital. Travis's brown eyes moistened. Once I hear from Don Pacheco I'm going out there, then I'm gonna find Coco Stefani. Matthias, finding Coco Stefani could be dangerous. I'm aware of that, Travis. It could be very dangerous. Chapter 15 Immersed in thoughts, Jones wiggled open the Colonial House's wood plank doors, and he stepped into the lobby. The food aromas increased his hunger. Within the glow from a pewter wall sconce on the barn board, Travis raised his hand at one of the booths down back. Jones waved and acknowledged one of the professors as he passed. Travis wore his usual classroom attire, a light blazer, tie, and brown slacks. He stood as Jones approached. Any word on Joe? I talked to Don Pacheco. Jones looked around the booths. Any sign of Daniels? Travis shook his head. No, I haven't seen him. I ordered the turkey dinner as per your request. What exactly did Pacheco say? Asked Travis. Joe's been shut away in the state hospital. I guess he's not playing in the game and the murder charges. Everything got to him. Can we see him? The Chico is working on it, but who knows? I can't just take Joe being alone over there in the state hospital. I need to know who is paying Gina Quintel. Again, that means Coco. As a matter of fact, I'm going to leave him a rather poignant message right now. Jones took out his cell phone. He punched in Coco's number on the speed dial. Again, it went right into voicemail. Coco, this is Matthias. My player, Joe Sabota. He's now in a state mental hospital because of what's going on here. Somebody's framing him, and I think you know all about it. You need to have the guts as a man to call me and stop hiding out like a little wuss. Call me right now. You really think that's going to get to him? Oh, it'll get to him. Franny, her red hair contrasting her green uniform hoisted a steamy turkey platter with gravy potatoes, sweet potatoes, and the cranberry sauce Jones requested onto the table. She said something, breaking Jones's concentration. He looked up. I'm sorry. Did you say something, Franny? Oh, boy, Travis, he's inside his head again. Must be Joe Sabota. Sabota's a good kid. No way did he murder that woman in Prince William. Well, you've got that right. She set Jones's coffee cup on the table. Arnie Dewis says Joe was a runner for the Mafia. Jones, about to shovel in a forkful of gravy smeared potatoes, held out his fork. He closed his eyes until he got his emotions under control. You tell Arnie that he has a big mouth. I think everybody knows that, Matthias. Enjoy your meal. Thanks, Franny. Jones shook his head and still held out the fork. Arnie Dewis... Mr. Dewars can be quite obnoxious. He delivered some materials to my house last month and proceeded to tell me how my published works were. How did he say? My books were very choppy. Arnie has an opinion on everything, and it's usually wrong. Jones elevated his fork again. Larry Resnick and a tall blonde-haired girl stepped into the lobby. Resnick had his arm around the girl, but she looked distracted. He received kudos as he passed the booths and sat along the front pane windows overlooking Main Street. Well, I'm happy for Larry. Marlena Peterson, every man's perfect catch, said Travis. where do you come up with those phrases, Travis? Oh, I have my little black book in my pocket. Oh yeah, I could use that book, he said as he placed the potato engraving on his tongue and finally savored the turkey flavor. This is very good. His cell phone rang and he set down his fork and reached into his pocket. I bet it's Don Pacheco. Jones answered the phone. You. Better watch yourself. No, you better watch yourself. Where are you? Coco, where are you?
1: Listen, I'll meet with you, okay? We gotta keep this discreet.
0: Are you in Prince William?
1: Just shut up, will you, Jonesy? Just meet me at the staircase, Jonesy.
0: Okay, I'll do that. Thanks. What did he say? He's going to meet with me, apparently still in the area. The phone rang again. Jones! Hi, Don Dom Pacheco. Dom! You have clearance to go to the state hospital. Just report to the front entrance. When do you think you'll be going over there? Well, I want to go tonight. Travis raised his dark brows. I'm worried about Joe. Well,
1: there is one catch.
0: Oh, I can hardly wait for this one, Dom, said Jones, and it better not involve Kit Bosco. Jones thought he heard Dom chuckle. Come on, Dom. You know Herbert's trying to make my life miserable.
1: Bosco's not as bad as he seems.
0: Yeah, he's worse. He looked at his watch. All right, you tell Bosco. I'll be over there in 45 minutes. Okay, I'll tell him. Thanks, Dom. Travis set down his liquor. I would like to accompany you to the hospital. Sure, I'd like you to be there. Resnick and Marlena approached along the side booths. Both Jones and Travis stood, but Jones sensed pain in Marlena's moist blue eyes. Hello, Larry. Malena. I don't think we've met Malena. Malena produced a fixed smile. Well, it's nice to meet you, Coach. Professor there, I know you. Your guy performed above and beyond the call of duty. Larry did well. Yes, he was top-notch, said Jones. Her smile fell away. Yep. Resnick, his arm around her, squeezed tightly, produced a wide grin. I'm going to have Marlena meet my dad when he comes up here next week. Well, that's good, said Jones. Coach, have you heard anything about Joe? Asked Marlena in a lower, concerned voice. Joe is weathering the storm, Marlena. Any chance of seeing him? She asked. Resnick dropped his arm and assumed a rigid stance. A lot of us want to see Joe and give him some encouragement. I don't think that's possible right now, but we're actually on our way over to see him. Tell him... Marlena says. Her teary eyes overflowed. I am sorry. Sure, I'll tell him that. Coach, see, Joe and I used to date. She sniffled and wiped her eyes with a tissue. Even up till last month when he fell for this this person and Prince William. Joe is a gentle guy. I never even saw him lose his temper. I can't believe that he'd kill somebody. I just don't believe it. Neither does anybody else. None of us believe it, said Resnick, holding her tighter. ''I know, I know,'' said Jones. ''It's all right, Marlene. I'll find out who did it. Tell him I'm sorry.'' Chapter 16 Daniels' shiny etzel edged along the curb as Jones and Travis exited through the Colonial House's heavy wooden doors. The rear windshield was new, but Jones was unsure about the bullet holes in the door. Daniels rolled down the driver's window. ''Well, here I am, Jones.'' Are you always this rude, Daniels, or are you just being that way on my account? Tut-tut-tut. Have a nice evening, Daniels. Jones, I think perhaps it's almost time that I prepared for the new role I have to play. Travis stepped out in front of Jones. Sherlock Holmes, a scandal in Bohemia. Well, you have an unfair advantage, sir. You are a professor of literature. And a fan of Holmes? Daniels leaned out the window and, speaking in a whisper, placed his hand next to his mouth. Actually, Professor Thayer, I'm anxious to get to the state hospital to speak with Saboter and perhaps get some additional facts on this case. How do you know that Joe is in the state hospital, Daniels? Daniels continued his low monotone. I have a police scanner and I pay close attention to it. Oh. Now, Jones, I insist that we take the Etzel. I do not like being a passenger. You know that. Daniels, forget it and stop your whispering. I insist, he said, raising his index finger. Oh, come on, Matthias, let him drive his car and help you out. I don't know, Travis, I have a bad feeling about this. Jones alternated glances between Travis and Daniels. All right, but no more quotes about Sherlock Holmes, and let me do the talking at the state hospital. As you will. Daniels leaned across the seat and unlocked the passenger side. Travis followed Jones around the hood. Jones opened the huge door and slid across the bench seat was soon wedged between the two men. What about the bullets, Daniels? Everything has been restored. Gentlemen, we are off on our caper. Jones closed his eyes and shook his head. Let's take this murder logically, Travis. Daniels navigated the large etzel over a dark winding farm road. He kicked on his high beams, slowed and checked a worn wooden sign along the road ahead. Eagle Nest Road connects with Woodgate. Just get us to the hospital, Daniels, said Jones. Daniels shook his head. In this day and age, they still house people out in some dungeon in the middle of nowhere. It's time somebody did something about it. Sound as if you're a candidate, said Travis. I wouldn't run for office if my life depended on it. You can't win with one vote, said Jones. What was that, Jones? Nothing. Take a right up here. Should be another five miles. Daniels spun the wide plastic steering wheel and brought the Etzel onto a narrow road. Jones turned to Travis. As I was saying, Coco Stefani would have the money to pay, Gina. Travis nodded. While the question still remains, why bother with Joe at all? Indeed, said Daniels, and Jones looked to his left and gave him a sneer. Daniels glanced in the side mirror. Jones turned when he saw a headlight shine inside the etzel. The car lights brightened up Woodgate Road. Oh, dear God, are we being trailed again? Jones locked into Daniels' tight gray eyes. Looks like we do have company. Well, thank you, thank you, Jones. What do you mean, thank you, Jones? You're the one who wanted to take your car. Daniels pushed the accelerator and kicked up the dust, but had trouble staying on the road. I'll show them. Travis poked his head around Jones. Mr. Daniels, you're approaching 60 miles an hour. Come on, Daniels, slow down. You don't even know who's in back of us. Our friends from Route 32, I just know it, said Daniels. As the headlights neared, Daniels wove uncontrollably across the road and onto the grassy embankment. Rows of wide trees flew by, and a gaggle of turkeys scampered into the field. Daniel's voice shook as the Etzel whipped back onto the road. Who is it? Who is it? No, it's them! Yelled Jones. The low rider, at high speed, the low rider closed in and bumped the Etzel. Daniel spun left and the tires vibrated along the embankment's grassy clumps. But he veered sharply back onto the road. The low rider quickly cut to the left to avoid his car and fishtailed into the dirt. It hit the maples broadside and flipped into the field. An immediate orange fireball cascaded upward, but quickly dissipated, and thick yellow flames reached upward from the burning car. The Etzel rolled to a stop in the high grass. Jones scrambled behind Travis and sprinted across the rural road. He stood for the longest time, shielding his eyes as the car blazed in the night, and the heat's intensity warmed his skin and jacket. Travis held his cell phone as he trotted across the road with Daniels. I've called the police. A silhouetted figure staggered forward in the field and fell into the indistinct grass. Jones circled the fiery wreckage, staying on the edge of the heat border, and tried to approach the man. Near the wavering flames, a man with a Latin complexion, clad in a black satin warm-up jacket, spread his arms on the grass. Blood oozed from deep cuts over his face, and he slowly released his grip. Jones placed his ear on the man's motionless chest and checked for a heartbeat on his neck. Is he dead, Jones? Asked Daniels, prancing across the grass. Yeah, he's dead, Daniels. The three cruisers, the red and white cubed ambulance and a number of polished red fire trucks surrounded the charred vehicle. Firemen dragged hoses across the field as Jones waited at road's edge for Daniels to return to the Etzel. Keep wondering about the guy in the field, Travis. Who was he and who was he working for? Well, I'm sure we'll know momentarily, Daniels, his notepad in hand, strutted across the country road. Well, Professor, they're not telling me anything. In fact, that Officer Crimmins said I was... He looked down at his pad. He said I was a ball buster. God love Officer Crimmins, said Jones. I overheard that, Jones, and I have his badge number. Jones smiled. Forget it, Daniels. Crimm held an aluminum clipboard in the flashing blue and red light. What do you hear, Crimm? Ah, Miguel Alvarez, Prince William. I've talked to Dom and I've talked to George Strickland. Why couldn't you reveal that to me? Asked Daniels. Jones looked at Travis and rolled his eyes. Who the hell is this guy? You don't want to know, Krim. Jones and I are working together on the Quintel matter. He's not helping me, said Jones. Jones, said Daniels, grimacing run a make on this guy Alvarez. I know he's been behind bars a hundred times. Jones threw up his hands. He wouldn't go by the name of Al, would he? Crimmins looked up from the clipboard. Yeah, that's one of his aliases. Bingo, Jones, bingo, said Daniels. If that's true, Gina Quintel's boyfriend is now dead over in the fields. What? The hookah's boyfriend? asked Crimmins. Now, wait a minute, Jones, said Daniels, stepping between them. I know what you're all thinking, but just because he was chasing us doesn't mean he was the murderer. We need logical deductions. No, but it is a possibility, Daniels. I want to know why he was after us. You on your way to the hospital, asked Krim. Yeah, I'll call you if we have anything, Matthias. Kevin's going to love this one. Thanks, Krim. Jones looked at Daniels. Come on, Daniels, let's go. Is that the end of your questioning? We need to observe, observe, observe. Get in the car, Daniels. We're going to the state hospital. Jones spoke to Travis in a lower voice. I may just leave him over there. What was that, Jones? I said, we appreciate your help. Sure you did. I'd like to ask more of your Officer Crimmins. Crimmins turned. Daniels, why don't you go along like a good boy? I strongly protest that remark. I strongly protest. Why don't you call your congressman? Jones smiled as he accompanied Travis around the hood and whispered, I should have left him back with all his Sherlock Holmes books. Chapter 17 In the distance, the tapering light from aluminum poles street lamps cut swaths over the indented arched windows and towering turrets of the aged hospital's weathered brick façade. Withering yellow corn stalks boarded the highway and an additional number of gothic structures formed a perimeter around the main building. Daniels carefully maneuvered the Etzel through a bumpy parking lot adjacent to a concrete modern structure connected to the main building. I would hope we have time to observe, Jones. We should have done more observing back at the accident scene. Yeah, we'll have time in here, Daniels. Just keep your mouth shut while we're in there. Jones stepped out of the car behind Travis. Perish the thought that Joe should be locked up in this place, said Travis. Daniels positioned his body between the two men as they headed toward the front doors. Well, it should be evident to the police that Sabota did not murder that prostitute. Jones was uncomfortable with Daniels so close. Nothing is evidence. Joe's knife was found outside the building, Daniels. Till we have the facts, nobody's going to listen to us. Exactly. At the front desk, Jones chatted with the woman, briefed earlier by Don Pacheco. Because of health care payments, she did not see an extended stay for Joe, but expressed her anguish at his condition. She assigned two overweight goofs in green lab coats, black pants, and turtlenecks to escort them to Joe's room. These men turned each of the three locks on a bank vault-sized door. Disinfectant odor choked the stale air along the polished tiles. The whole idea of Joe being locked away, even for a short time, hurt Jones deeply, and he knew a prison cell and trial awaited Joe once he left this place. More than the indignity for the young man, barely 20 years old, Jones was rattled by other forces at work. The dead man and the low rider, and Monique's revelation, pointed directly at Coco. He contemplated getting over to Prince William without Daniels tailing along. Kip Bosco's rounded form blocked the room doorway at the end of the corridor. Well, this makes my night. Well, Mr. Suave and Sophisticated, said Travis. Bosco bit into a hot dog and pulled some chips out of the bag on an inside table. Hey, where have you been, coachy? I recognize that gentleman, said Daniels. I've seen him heading up the stairs to Gina Quintel's apartment. Oh, really? asked Jones, raising his brows at Travis. Bosco drank from a dented Coke can and chewed on the mustard-laden hot dog. He spoke with his mouth full. Fancy meeting you here. I see you brought the prof. I know you, said Daniels. I've never seen you before in my life, Jack. You visited Gina Quintel's apartment on numerous occasions. How would you like me to beat you up? Mustard squirted off the hot dog onto Bosco's bright red tie. He wiped his tie with a napkin and then bullied his way up to Daniel's. I'm a vice cop. I arrest hookers. You shut up. Leave him alone, Kip, said Jones. Bosco spun toward Jones and fumbled with the hot dog, almost dropping it on the floor. Who the hell is he, anyway? He's working with me. Oh, yeah. The blind leading the blind. Jones moved closer to Bosco as he sipped on the coke. Kip, I don't need you here. I can handle this myself. I'll be the judge of that. Heard you guys had a little traffic problem on the way over. Jones folded his arms across his chest. Funny you should know that. Why don't you tell us about Miguel And Why don't you go to the lost and found? Oh, I thought you might have beat him up, said Jones. If I beat somebody up, they stay beat up. Travis furrowed his brows. We were nearly run off the road. What the hell do you want me to do about it? Asked Bosco. Did Coco send this gentleman Alvarez Asked Daniels, his hand propped to write on his pad. I don't have to take questions from this bozo. Well, it takes one to know one. Daniels scrawled something on the pad. What's he writing? I'll bring him in. I'll lock him up. Why don't you just beat him up? Asked Travis. You'll all be sleeping on the floor over in the cells. Especially you, Jones. Why do you keep signaling me out, Kip? I like you, Coachy. What about Al? Did he kill Gina Quintel? Asked Jones. Al's dead, isn't he? You didn't answer my question. I ain't gonna answer it. Al was in and out. Haven't seen him for weeks. Jones attempted to look around the corner. Where's Joe? Your boy Sabota has lost his marbles. The kid is under tremendous stress, Kip. Yeah, look what it got him time in the loony bin. Anyway, he's all drugged up, (laughs) said Bosco, laughing, and he stuffed the remainder of the hot dog into his mouth. He reached in his blazer pocket and fished out a pack of cigarettes. I'm stepping outside for a quick butt. As he waddled down the corridor next to the red exit sign, Daniels wrote furiously. Travis seemed perplexed. What are you writing, Mr. Daniels? Everything. I don't want to miss a thing. I would advise that you purchase a personal recorder. Daniels looked up, the pen still in his hand. Yes, Professor Thayer, I shall consider your advice. Jones eyed an older couple under a single fluorescent light, casting a white glow over the room's powder blue walls and earthy floor tiles. Joe's limp body slumped under the sheets. Bosco hadn't mentioned Joe's parents being inside. Travis's somber countenance reflected Jones's own feelings as they moved into the sterile room. Thin platinum blonde leaned in a brown metal folding chair and held Joe's oversized hand. A larger, more powerful man stared out the window into the night. Are you Mr. Sabota? I am. The wide-shouldered Mr. Sabota turned around once they were in the room. Jones remembered Joe saying his father was a steel worker, and the gray-haired old man's biceps rounded out under his red sports shirt. He lumbered around the bed with his hand outstretched. Walter Sabota. I'm Coach Jones. Yes, I recognize you from my son's football pictures. Walter had a crushing grip, but his red eyes led Jones to think he had been crying. This is my wife, Christine. My son! What's happened to my son? she asked, still clasping Joe's hands. Oh, my God, Joe, Daniels zipped by Jones. Your son has engaged in nefarious Daniels. Now, now, Jones, I'm one for leveling with people. Jones positioned himself between Walter Sabota and Daniels. And I'm working to clear Joe, Mr. Sabota. Walter's sloping forehead wrinkled and his deep eyes remoted his preoccupation. The police have Joe's knife, and uh, he was holding the woman's body. Well, there's more to it than that, Mr. Sabota. Jones bit his lower lip. Did Joe tell you anything else? When he called us on the phone, he said he was in love with this woman. Once, he told me, he was in fear for his life. Well, why was that? asked Travis. Well, I promised my son. Mr. Sabota, I'm getting nowhere. If you have information, said Jones. Walter peered into the corridor and finally faced Jones. He was told by a man to stay away from Gina. Who? Now I'm afraid for his life, Mr. Jones. Please, who was the man? A man named Stefani. Well, that settles it, Jones, said Daniels. He slammed his hand against his pad. Don't you people see? Coco Stefani paid Quintel to be with Joe. What are you saying? asked Walter. Someone paid this woman to be with my son? Bosco moved back inside grabbing a fistful of chips from the plastic bag on the table as he passed. He crunched the mass in his mouth. Well, that's a damn lie. How do you know that, Kip? asked Jones. Everybody out! Bosco grabbed Jones's parker and pulled him toward the hallway. Jones raised his clenched fist and Bosco released his grip. Once they were outside, he pushed his finger toward Jones but did not touch him. These people don't need to know the facts. Then it's true, Coco did pay her. I ain't saying nothing don't get any ideas about talking with coco shut up kip the lines around bosco's bright blue eyes deepened he stammered as he shook his head jones so far i've kept you at bay but i'm telling you don't mess with coco he's m.i.a i have no desire kip to spin my wheels looking for coco coco agrees by phone to finally meet with jones Little Larry Resnick is now the star quarterback and dating Joe Sabota's old girlfriend before Gina Quintel. Jones and Travis are driven to the state hospital by Daniels. And getting back to that crash, a Latin man named Al is dead inside the low rider. Jones is fearful that with that man dead in the low rider and Monique's revelation that Coco will be implicated in the murder. This is Robert P. Fitton listening to Kip Buster shooting off his mouth. I'm out of here. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittonbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.